Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another segment of what it means to be a Christian. I'm excited today, as always. Today we will be in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, and I'm going to start at the 17th verse. Uh, we have gone so much in this epistle, uh, and this is such a div- div- an understanding, if you will, uh, at this point. The character of a Christian, um, that's not much spoken on today. Uh, with doctrine eroding, apostasy setting in, um, sometimes we wonder where really the examples of a disciple of Christ are. Uh, sometimes we read in the Old Testament, we read about the disciples in the New Testament, and, and it's kind of a, a, a fairy tale or it's an, an off, unattainable life. But I'm here to assure you and to refresh you in the fact that this is the same Holy Spirit that indwells us, is the same Spirit that indwelt the apostles and the disciples uh, in the first century. In fact, the Holy Spirit is none other than the third person of the Trinity sent by the Father and the Son to indwell us so that the life of Christ uh, might dwell in us and that we might be conformed to the image of of the Father, Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is exciting. Today, as I come to this study, I'm a little bit heavy. Uh, as I've prepared for this and thought about this, um, character, wow, character of Jesus Christ. You know, one of my favorite verses of the Apostle Paul penned, and it's in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 10, and you can almost hear the, the admiration and the, the aching and the, on his knees, he must have been pinning this to the, the, to the Philippians where he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death and he goes on. He wants to know him. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. You know, I was thinking as, as again, I was getting ready for these studies, uh, brethren, that, you know, today we are in the last days, and, and the Bible is about 28 to 30% prophecies, they say. Um, and it predicts these days. It predicts the days that uh, the love of many will grow cold, as the Lord Jesus said, Uh Doctrine will fade away, and as the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, uh, there's going to come people at the last days that are going to have itching ears, that they're going to accumulate uh, teachers for themselves that will scratch their itching ears, so to speak, that will tell them what they want to hear. We have reserved this for another study uh, to to understand what these teachers and this this itching of the ears, so to speak, is. And it is fascinating as well as very telling on the days that we live. But what we want to look at here today, brethren, is not only to get refreshed in the Word and get excited about God's Word, because, well, let's go back to the Scriptures itself. Turn with me, if you will, just real quick to Hebrews chapter 4. I love the book of Hebrews. 
Again, as you all know, if you've listened to me for any length of time, I believe that the Apostle Paul penned it, which has been a mystery, but nonetheless. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen to the next verse, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The King James says, to whom we must do. But this word is living. It's active. It is powerful. There is nothing in this universe that is more powerful than the Word of God. God spoke, and this universe leapt to existence. We we uh, think it very uh, honorable, and I know that when my sons were in the military to go to their uh, you know either graduations or any part of their military and see that the actual command of of sergeant or whatever commanding his troops and the troops stand at attention and they obey every command that he says and yet do you know that when when god created the universe the universe leapt into existence it stands at his command this whole universe operates at the very command of god Uh, the stars in their in their constellations in their courses the sun the the earth Everything operates, you know, even down to the very breath that we have. The Bible says in numerous places that it's the Spirit of God that gives us breath. God commands every single breath that we take. And so when we look at the Christian life, we've been going through now these many, many studies on this, what it means to be a Christian. And we've not only seen that this Christian life is not only... Uh, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is entered in by faith and it, and it changes us, we become born again. You know, sad to say that there are a lot of, of Christians out there, so-called Christians out there, that all they know about this Christian life is that someday they'll be in heaven. And that somehow all this stuff will all work out. And, and when they die, they, they, they will hope to get to heaven um, you know, they understand the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it just seems to, to end there. Uh, we have the sign of the times happening where uh, people are, ex- are looking for experiences. They're looking for wonders and signs and experiences and feelings to define their Christian life. The Bible is none of that. The Bible is based on facts, our hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, as the song says. Remember where our definition of hope, the biblical definition, is that confident expectation to what God has said he's going to also perform. And as we, we started this, uh, this study um, with a profound understanding of the Christian life, Paul says, in the remember the first chapter and the third verse, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow, that tells us right now that there is so much more to this life 
in Christ, the not only the life of forgiveness, the life of joy and peace that Jesus promised, but a life of change, a life of character building, a life of changing. Um, as God is faithful in everything he does, he wants to cause in us to be not only born again as we are, but that we would be conformed to the image of his son. We find that in Romans 8. And we'll get in later on in this chapter as we get in a little bit more. We're going to talk about uh, marriage, which takes up a good part of this chapter, the last part of this chapter. Marriage. Man, there is never a more of a time in the history of mankind that marriage is in trouble. The divorce rate is almost two to one. You know that? And and it it is growing. Now the replacement of marriage is, quote, unquote, living together. Well, let's just live together. And if if a couple years later or whatever down the road, if it doesn't work out, well, you know, at least we didn't get married, you know. And that is a cheapening effect on commitment. We are not on probation on our Christian life. And we are not, should not be on probation in our committed married life. So when we see these wonderful things happening in the Word of God, when we read them, realize that all this is only obtainable in one way. This Christian life is only available to those that are in Jesus Christ. This Christian life is only attainable, possibly attainable, because the Spirit dwells in us and the power is not of us but of him to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ you know as we start looking at character what is character well I want to take you back to a a passage that I love you don't have to turn there remember this is a time of where we can just relax and uh, just to be together in the Lord, be together in His Word, you know, and be to, and just to, to really look at why God is so interested in character, because God is love, God is the truth, God is holy, God does not lie. God is perfect in all he does, and he is holy and beautiful. Listen to this verse. I love this. And this is in Jeremiah chapter 9, starting verse 23. We're going to read two verses, verses 23 and 24 of Jeremiah 9. This is just one out of many. God loves to see his character produced in us. A true Christian, my friends, is one who has been born from above that one has died with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. But looking in the Old Testament, what God says through Jeremiah about his character, he says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands 
and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. That's what God is saying. In those things he's delight, that we would understand and know him. He is the all-powerful, almighty, and yet he is a God of love, of character. He is the same yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow, forever. He's faithful. And I have just uh, one more verse that, that uh, you've heard me talk about before, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. It's in Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. He is ten, and his tender mercies are all over his works. So as we start the fifth chapter and the 17th verse today, Let's get to know him. Who is running your life? Who is running your household? Is he running your life? Is he running your household? Is he, is he first in everything you do? Whether, whether it's your finances, the way you treat your wife, as we will see, the way you treat your children, the way you treat your neighbors. But you have to say, well, yeah, you just don't know my neighbors. They don't deserve it. God doesn't say Treat your neighbors only if they deserve it. He says to have kindness and compassion. So look at what we left off last week. And let's say verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. In other words, not, you know, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wow. Wow. The days are evil. Paul will quote that again in Colossians 4, 5, and he adds, he adds to his words. A lot of times Paul will, will be writing a letter or an epistle to another church, or you know, and he will add to it, and, and it, it gives us a rounded picture. He says, walk in wisdom. This is Colossians 4, 5 now. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Character not only involves our speech, it involves the way we we treat other people. You know, to be honest, there are those out there that you rub shoulders with every day that you are going to be the only example of Jesus Christ that they see. What kind of example are they seeing? Do they even know you're a Christian? Can they even tell that something's different about you? We should have a, a the joy, that inner gladness that, that is emanating out of us, knowing that God is in complete control. Complete control. We don't walk according to good days and bad days. And, oh, I feel great. And, oh, my gosh, I feel bad. And tomorrow, you know, I can't, you know. No, our life is a constant. Yes, we, have, we go through rain and we also go through sunshine. But God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. I love it. Or 10, 13. I'm sorry, brethren. In fact, let me just turn there real quick and let me uh, just quote 
this this was the very first uh <laughs> the very first scripture that I ever memorized. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen. I remember way back in the eighties I, I had uh, befriended a gentleman um, who had just gotten married and uh, you know, was a little bit older in the Lord than I was, but he was going through some tough times. And the way he expounded the scripture that God revealed it to him, I never forgot. Listen to this. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Listen to this. But with temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God's not going to give anything that that you are not going to be able to handle. He might take you to that that limit, and to producing you perseverance and faith. We see that in the book of James. My brethren, consider all joy when you counter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we don't walk on feelings. We don't walk on experiences. We walk and place our trust in a person, in Jesus Christ, who will never fail us or forsake us. He is in control at all costs. There's nothing that comes in this life to the believer, to you, my friend, in Jesus Christ, unless it passes through the hands of a loving father. And you remember our Romans 8.28 bird, right? Don't let it fly away. In all things, everything works to the good of those who love God. So he says, redeeming the time, verse 16, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, we only have so much time here on this earth. You know, he tells Job that his, Job's months, mankind's months are numbered. We see that we're a vapor. We see that we're a hand breath. We see that our days might be 70 if by strength 80. They're cut off and we fly away. We can go through all the, the wonderful aspects that the Word of God so intricately puts it together that our life is brief. We're only here for a very short time. Being a solid person in Jesus Christ, we can buy up that time. We can make that time the Lord's time. And we can fulfill that which God has given us, the time that he's given us. Redeeming the time, brethren. Look at verse 17. This is where we're going to start today with that opening. Therefore, I love that word, therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, this verse in a lot of, a lot of Bibles uh, won't have any kind of, uh, you know, side note or references to it because, you know, there is such a misunderstanding or there's such a lack of understanding, I should say, about the will of God. That's kind of a scary subject for people. Wow, what's what's the will of God in my life? What's what's this? Let's just kind of look at that for a little bit. You know, if you want to turn with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, there's an interesting verse that the Lord Jesus said. Do you know the Bible says that when he came into this world, he uttered these words? In fact, you know what, brethren? I'll start at verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt sacrifices, or excuse me, burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. This is my verse, brethren, verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. The volume of this book, it is written of me. To do your will, O God. God's will is that Jesus Christ, God would become a man, that the Son would come to earth, that he would have, that he would take on the form of a bondservant, as Paul says in Philippians, that he walk among us as a man, that he would be perfect in all his ways, fulfilling all the demands of the will of God. He walked perfectly before God without sin. And yet also he was the will of God is that he would be the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, slain, brethren, for you and I, for the sin that we have. He fulfilled the will of God in his life. It was absolutely wonderful. Do you know that the will of God for you and I, brethren, first and foremost, is that we would have a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ? All right? You see that First John chapter two verse seven, for example. Um, I want to maybe if you want to go there. There's nothing like going through the Bible. My pastor years ago, uh, at first it was tough, you know, and you if you didn't know the word that well, or you know, you were constantly flipping the word, and you think, wow, you know, what's the deal and, and everything, and but yet you know that you get to understand and know the word that way. Turn to First John chapter two. We're going to look at verse 17. John says this, he says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And if we take the whole context of what that's saying, that the will of God is for that you and I to have a relationship with you, and that relationship comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's another aspect of that will before we go on, brethren. And believe me, I'm just touching the surface. Because I want to I want to look at a few passages in John chapter six. John chapter six is the famous chapter with <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of people that uh couldn't understand and couldn't take what he was saying about him being the bread of life and, and uh but he has a couple verses here that I think is very uh, telling about doing God's will and, and what that entails. Look at John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me. Now, this is the Lord Jesus talking. And he said plainly, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. Great verse regarding eternal security. We can go off and through the whole Bible regarding the security of God. He is not putting you on probation. He does not make uh, 
demands that we can't keep. Because remember, the old covenant, man broke that, but the new covenant is filled with I will, I will, I will. So he says again in verse 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Coupled with one of my favorite verses, just go go up a few verses to verse 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. You know, God has his perfect will. He wills that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what he desires. And yet, God has given man a free will to pick and choose as he pleases. Whosoever will may come. God's will for your and mine's life is to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ as a branch abides in the vine. We see that in the Gospel of John and what Jesus in the in you know after his upper room discourse is explaining the the art of abiding in Him. We see First John, John the the apostle in his first epistle explaining it is to abide in Him. The will of God. Also, the will of God is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter eight. To bear fruit, Jesus said, you know that we would bear fruit and that our fruit would remain. And it's all to the glory of the Father. So the will of God is not a, a uh, something we can't understand, but we must start at the basic. What really is the will of God? Jesus came into the world in the volume of the book is written, to do thy will, O God, because he came and he left heaven's glory, came down and took the form of a man, clothed himself with human flesh, walked among this world, sinless, doing good, showing the Father, doing mercy, doing the works only God can do, showing people who God is, and yet paying the price for their sin. Living a life we couldn't live, (laughs) for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And dying and paying for my sin. All of it on the cross, taking the punishment that I deserve. Therefore, again, verse 17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He wants a relationship with you. He has something that he can't take from you, and that is your heart. He wants your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Give yourself unreservedly to him in Jesus Christ, and you will be on your way to pleasing the Father and fulfilling uh, the will of the Lord. Very wonderful. You know, an aspect of Christianity, brethren, that a lot of people sadly to say today don't understand and don't have. Look at verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, or like the King James, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's another thing. People don't understand what this means. 
What is what is this uh, filling of the Spirit? What what does the Spirit play in my life? Uh, what does He do? Well, first of all, brethren, before we get into this, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, the Triune God. Three persons reveal the one true God. You know, there is an interesting verse, and, and I want to go through it real quick. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. In Acts 18, remember a guy named Apollos? Apollos uh, was born in Alexandria. He was down in Egypt, and the Scripture said he was an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures. And he came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And you think, wow, that, that is an interesting verse. He only knew the baptism of John. Well, when we understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, uh, we start to understand this life is in the body of Christ. This life is driven by the Holy Spirit, is instructed by the Spirit. Remember, um, I am so excited about these things. Wow. Uh, you know, we when we see these things, uh, we talk about the Spirit, we talk about, uh, you know, a place that, in the body of Christ, in Jesus Christ. What does that mean to be in Christ, in the body? Do you know what? When you were born again, the Bible says that it was the Spirit of the living God that baptized you, that placed you into the body of Christ. It's called regeneration. We are, that's why we are made anew. We are not refashioned. God didn't take the old Jeff Graham and, and kind of, you know, patch him up a little bit and use some wax and polish him up and, and he's all good. No, God created Jeff Graham anew in Christ Jesus. Wow. First Corinthians 12, Paul says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Into one body. It's the spirit, brethren, when you became born again, and this man regenerated. Titus talks about the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. What he did, what he did is he took you and not only created you anew, but took you from death into life and placed you into the body of Christ. Listen to this. Talking about the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The things he's prepared for those who love him. God has things prepared and he wants you to know about. He wants to, to you to understand this life in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. There is more to this Christian life than just the forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven. Those are blessed. Indeed, those are blessed. But we want to go on to maturity. 
we want to go on to, that's why we teach every man and instruct every man to reach him to the fullness of Christ. We saw back in the fourth chapter, remember, uh, of Ephesians when we were there a while back, how God gave gifts to men. Some of them were pastors, teachers, evangelists, and, and so on and so forth. And it's the Spirit who enables these men to work in such a way as God seems fit to to build up the body of Christ to maturity. Wow. You know, the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. You know, I think that... Uh, the subject of alcohol has has come up in my ministry, and uh, several times people debate. Well, it's not wrong to drink, and it's not. No, I'm not saying it's wrong to drink. I'm saying it's definitely wrong to get drunk or to get lit. Uh, some men uh, are, are of a very addictive nature, and so to even flirt with a drink uh, would be catastrophic um, in their. In their life, there's been many examples down through the years of, of pastors, uh, people influencing the church, or just in general, uh, have really lost their footing and have really done some damage to the body of Christ because of alcohol, uh, to their testimony because of alcohol. My friends, if you have a problem with alcohol, don't touch it. You remember how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember back in uh, back in Genesis. And how he was made head over Potiphar's whole house. And yet Potiphar's wife kept coming in and looking at Joseph and saying, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. And Joseph never would. Joseph never would. And he never would because he was God's man. And, and at during that time, no matter what he did, God was with him. But let me let me tell you one little thing that is so insightful about that time. First of all, Joseph was sold by his brothers in, into slavery, ended up in Egypt, ended up being uh, shown favor, uh, and he was head over all of Potiphar's household. He was an officer of Pharaoh. He's a captain guard. He was Egyptian. He brought him in from the Ishmaelites and taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. <laughs> So Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his whole household and all his affairs. The only thing, obviously, that he withheld from him was his own wife. So every day Joseph would go in. And the scripture says that so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day. What did she spoke to him? Come and lie with me. Spoke to him day by day that he did not heed her. To lie with her, listen, brethren, or to be with her he didn't even allow that temptation to be there sometimes when we look at alcohol be not drunk with wine which is excess or dispensation but be filled with the spirit if you my friend or anybody you know has a has a problem or addiction with alcohol my advice to you is not even touch it. Don't even give it a temptation or don't even give the devil that opportunity because they do not call alcohol spirits for nothing. But be filled with the Spirit, ah, the Holy Spirit. 
the one who comes to dwell within every believer. Jesus said he will not only be with you, but he will be in you forever. Read it. Read John chapter 14, 15, and 16 very carefully and see how in those three chapters of the Gospel of John 14, 15, and 16, how all that, the joy of the Lord, the peace of Christ, everything that the fruit is mixed around the wonderful abiding of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this about the Spirit. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit, God himself, greater is he, the scripture said, who is in you than he who is in the world. The third person of the Trinity. Wow. Every believer is born of the Spirit. We see that in, in John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 5. He's indwelt by the Spirit, okay, which makes his his not body not only a temple, but it makes him a dwelling place of God. Do you understand that, brethren? He's indwelt by the Spirit. We've just read that he's baptized by the Spirit. And by the mere fact of him baptizing, putting him in the body of Christ, he is sealed by the Spirit for God. And we've already seen that in our, in our studies in chapter 1 of Ephesians and chapter 4 of Ephesians. You know, uh, all believers have the Spirit. It's true of all believers. And yet we are called upon as our privilege and our duty to be filled with the Spirit. You know, in, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, uh, we see the fact that there is not only the one baptism of the Spirit, but there are many fillings of the Spirit. We don't have time to look there now, but if you go to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, you see the disciples were praying and they were filled with the Spirit. Um, uh, Dr. Barnhouse used to say that they were filled again and again and again because they were leaky vessels. <laughs> now, uh, we, uh, this life is a life of moment-by-moment fellowship with the Lord and what joy that can bring. You know, and, and let me like this as a side note, brethren. When you have that joy of the Lord, alcohol really loses its fervor. Really, uh, you, you just can't uh, enjoy yourself. Uh, you've, you've, you dampen your fellowship. Uh, you've, you know, it's just not, not worth it. So you have a problem with alcohol, get rid of it. Don't even touch it. You know, I think that... Uh, that in aspects of the fact of how we cannot be filled with spirit, we can grieve him by allowing evil in our heart or, or in our life, having sin. We see that. And remember our study in Ephesians 4, you know, which I think it's uh, verses 30 and 31, how we can grieve him, you know. Um, we can also quench him, quench his power, quench his authority on life by disobedience. Through disobedience. Look at First uh, First Thessalonians. If you want to go there, brethren, First um, Thessalonians chapter five. Let me tell you, there's three points to a productive, fulfilling Christian life, and we're going to see these things. Number one is rejoice always. Number two, pray continually. And number three, give thanks in everything. But look in First Thessalonians chapter five. Starting at verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, 
But always purpose what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Goodness, Jesus went around doing good. Think of verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice. Paul says this, obviously, uh, in numerous places. But he expounds upon it greatly in the last part of, of Philippians. Rejoice always, brethren. And again, I say rejoice. What causes rejoicing and the inner gladness is the Holy Spirit within us that is that upwelling of, of again, that inner gladness, regardless of our circumstances. Are you living that way? Have you lived that way? You can, because God is in control, and he wants to take control over your life and your thought life. So, again, we're still in 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Number 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's our will of God again. See, we see that doing the will of God, understanding the will of God, being in the will of God, has everything to do with being filled with the Spirit, walking in Him. Jesus uh, was constantly rejoicing in the Spirit. The Bible says that those that are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. He also says, Paul says in Romans, that his spirit spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a witness. It's a bearing. It's a confidence. It's not a feeling. Can you imagine Joseph for two years? Potiphar's wife at one time came into the house and, and, and seized the jacket of Joseph. And Joseph split so he didn't have time to think about it. He didn't flirt with temptation. He left, and he left so fast that she ripped off the coat that he was in and then, of course, cried out. Look, this Hebrew who you sent among us, you know, he's, he's wanted to rape me, you know, and, and, and he, I screamed and he walked away or he ran away. Well, for the next two years, two years, brethren, Joseph sat in prison. Boy. If we were running on feelings and experiences, wow, what happened? Did God forget me? Did God not know this was going to happen? God knew it was going to happen, and he sustained him. Look at the great apostle Paul. Spent two years after uh, Felix forgot about him and left him in jail there for two years. Read about it. Read the book of Acts. It's fascinating. These men were men of God. They didn't operate on feelings. They operated on fact because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the fact that, brethren, God is in control. So in our First Thessalonians 5 passage, after this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, look at verse 19, the next verse. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench him. You know, uh, quenching means to squish, to to suppress. Paul says, talking about suppressing the truth in Romans, we can suppress the the wonderful operating uh, power through the Holy Spirit by going our own way, by being disobedient, by being down, by being depressed, by by complaining, by nagging, by getting discouraged, by complaining about God. God is all powerful and all good. We've read in that passage in Jeremiah and elsewhere that He's He's full of loving kindness. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to know him. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Wow, I've only gotten two verses down, brother. My time's almost up. Let's let's get going here. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Are you kidding me? No, he's not kidding. We can do that day in and day out, brother, regardless of our circumstances. Jesus Christ is in control. He's overcome this world. Paul says, amazing thing, I love this. And you remember this. At the end of his life, wow, at Second Timothy, the great apostle Paul, his last inspired writings in Timothy chapter, Second Timothy chapter 4, he writes this. He said to Timothy, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he says in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Apostle Paul, I don't think he was down and depressed. I don't think he knew what the will of the Lord was. And you Can we live this way? Yes. Song, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Brother, we need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to sharpen each other's iron, so to speak. I want to talk to you at this point uh, about marriage. You know... I truly believe that the Bible is very, very clear about this. If it doesn't happen at home, it's not going to happen out there. You know, husbands, I want to talk about, although we start talking with wives, Peter talks about wives, Paul talks about wives first, but do you realize that men, men have the shoulders that God has laid responsibility to for their wives. Do you know, men, there are so many ways to destroy your marriage that is not being taught in the pulpit, that is not being taught by people that aren't on their knees, so to speak, reading the Word of God, discerning the Word of God, being filled with spirit that they might be taught the Word of God about marriage, Christian character. You cannot have Christian character on the outside and treat your wife or your spouse ill on the inside. And this is only true when we are in Jesus Christ. Only true that we cannot live one way outside and another way in the home. We must understand that God is concerned, brethren, about your marriage, if you are married, or if you're thinking about marriage. And yet, as we'll see as we close this out a little bit in a little bit, that he is speaking to this about his church. About his church. Well, you know... You never know that, because, you know, Jesus has sure high demand, but he was never married to, to my wife, or he was never married, so how does he know? Really? He is our bridegroom. We are his bride. He treats us with tenderness. You want to know how he treats us? You want to know how love is from a biblical perspective? Read First Corinthians chapter 13. Wow. Then we'll really get an understanding of the love of God and how he wants us to love. 
In fact, before we get into this, brethren, so we can see first, well, go back to Romans, if you will, a few books back. And I want to show you how this works. Romans chapter 13. Let's start at verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Wait a minute. How is that happening? Let's read on. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love. Let's go back to verse 9. If I love, I'm not going to commit adultery on my neighbor. Or my wife. If I'm governed by by love, I'm not going to murder. If I'm governed by love, I'm not going to steal. Whether that's in the form of, of, of time, taking the extra hour and a half for lunch instead of an hour, what have you. I will not bear a false witness. I will not lie. I will be a truthful witness. You shall not covet. I will not covet my neighbor's wife or his property or anything else. If I truly have the love of Christ in me love, then I'm not going to do these things because I love my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? They asked Jesus. Remember he told the the story of the the, uh, Samaritan that went down the road and he was besought by robbers and they stripped him and they beat him and they left him half dead. You know the story. Who is my neighbor? Nobody you rub shoulders with. Look at verse 22, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's right. You got it. Betty's saying, you got to submit to me by gummy on the Lord of my own house. That is That might sound funny on the outside, but you know, that that is really a lot of times that is where the attitude a lot of men have. By gummy, I go out and I work hard. I want to have a hot meal when I get home, and you better submit to me. Gosh, I wish my wife would do that like your wife does. I wish she would give me the tension, whether sexually or anything else that I deserve. Wow, it's pretty condemning, isn't it, to wives? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Look at verse 23. We'll get back to it. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Well, I'm the head of my wife. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Let me go back. These are absolute passages of love. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife. God has made men and women differently. But yet when we understand those differences, they... they so work together. The Father has created women to be loving, to be emotional, to have emotions, to have those those depth of feelings that needed to be guarded. That in He's created the man in marriage to have the broader shoulders to to guard the wife, to be uh, 
if you will, her guardian, her protector, her provider. Before we get much into this, there are three ways that the scripture talks about husbands. I want to talk to you about how to treat your wife. Number one, obviously, which I think most men will carry out, and that's protect her physically. I don't know of a of a husband. I don't know of a husband who would not protect his wife physically. Number two, this is where a lot of men start falling down. We are to protect our wife spiritually. We are to guard our home and guard our wife from false teaching, from wolves, from anything entering in. We are to deliver pure doctrine, live out pure doctrine, teach and live pure doctrine in the home. And number three, brethren, here's where a lot of men, more than than I care to think about, fall down. We're to protect our, our wives emotionally. The scripture says that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Now, the weaker vessel, Peter says this, is not meaning that they're inferior. It is meaning that God has created the woman to have her protection and her her canopy, if you will, of man by her husband. Her husband is to be her protector and the one that she could come to emotionally and the one that she can lay herself open to and with all safety, all sincerity, and all conforming and comfortableness, resting in her husband, knowing that he will protect her at all costs. And that is a beautiful picture of how two, a man and a woman, come together in marriage. And yet it's the responsibility, men, for us to know our wives, to know how to protect our wives, to treat our wives, to love our wives, to give ourselves for our wife. We lay our life down every day for our wife and how we unselfishly treat her and love her, respect her, and guard her emotionally. Sounds harsh to men? It's not. Because let us, let's see as we go down real quick how the Lord Jesus Christ cares for his church, you and I. So verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and is a savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Wait a minute, why am I subject to Christ? I love him. He is my bridegroom. He tenderly cares for me. He takes care of me. I draw my life substance from him. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I shall not be in want, or I shall not lack. He leads me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Remember Jesus said of the Spirit, he will not only be with you, but he will be in you forever. Thy rod and thy staff to comfort me. Behold, thou hast set up a table in the midst of my enemies. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Hmm. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. 
wait a minute, how do I love my wife? How do I really love my wife? How do I love her that makes our marriage even bear fruit after years and years and years? I'll give you the secret, brethren, is in this passage. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the secret. Are you giving yourself, you husbands, for your wife? Do you love her? Do you show her by doing dishes, taking care of the bills, taking care of the things that come into the home? Do you do that most importantly and foremost by telling her? Yes, do it with a dish rag, do it with a vacuum cleaner, but most importantly, husbands, do it with your communication. Communicate your love. Our Savior does. We read the the Bible, and for us that are in Jesus Christ, it's a wonderful book of love. There are love letters written, and it has stamped all over, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you. I am so... God is glorified when I fall before him, and I love him. He is my Lord and my Savior. And he loves me. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. My mentor, Dave Hunt, used to always say, you better fear God. You're going to learn to love him, but you better fear him. And fearing means that awe, reverential trust and awe that God is so magnificent. God is love. You're going to learn to love him. Husbands, are your wives learning to love you? If somebody would come to them today, and if you've been married 15, 20, however long you've been married, years, would your wife confide into somebody that she has lost fervor, that she has lost love, or would she confide that, I don't know how my husband feels about me. I can't really tell by his actions whether he loves me or not. You know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in our verse 25, we love our wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. Look at verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. We can go into theological understanding of what the washing of the water means by the word. Are you washing your wife? By the word? Are you living the word of God? Well, remember, we are in the context of being filled with spirit, right? That's what the context is here, which produces a wonderful uh, character, a wonderful life. Remember, I want to go back to John chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. John chapter 7. Verses 37, 38, listen to this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not given yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's why he said, if I go away, it's your advantage. If I go away, the Spirit will come to you. 
Husbands, don't try to love your wives with something you don't have. Let Christ take your marriage. Let Christ take all of your life. Reserve nothing back. I remember reading a uh, an account of missionaries years ago where these missionaries went to these, these jungles and they couldn't find a word. They were trying to, to translate the, the word of God and they couldn't find a word for uh, you know, the rest in the Lord and, and believe on him. Uh, one day when they were trying to learn the customs of the tribe, they had gone out with them hunting and it was severely hot and humid. And they came back in the latter part of the day and they all got these cots, which were lifted up off the ground uh, a little ways, a couple feet or whatever. And they laid out and they stretched themselves out on the cot and it clicked within them. They relayed stretching themselves out on the Lord Jesus Christ for rest and, and uh, you know, to regain your strength. But to, to stretch yourself out on the Lord Jesus Christ, to roll everything upon him, reserve nothing back. God's dividends pay eternally. And they are something that this world cannot understand cannot understand you know when we when we are simply resting in him stretching ourselves out on him we start understanding the words of the late jim elliot remember jim elliot he's the guy that, that with four of his his uh his missionary brothers went down to the Aka indians and all of them lost their life he wrote this before he left he said we must give up what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot afford to lose. You give everything to Jesus Christ, and your marriage will take on a new meaning. Your wife will understand that true love does not mean that it is based on her performance. True love is based on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who dwells her loving husband. She is not on probation. Husband, why are some of us acting like our wives are on probation? That's what the world says. The world says, well, I'll try it for a little while. And, uh, you know, what if Jesus said that to us? Well, you know, uh, I know that you believe in me, and I know you've given your life to me, but we'll try it for a while. And if that doesn't happen, no, it's based on his faithfulness. Our Christian life, brethren, is based on the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact... If you read in John chapter 17, uh, that the Father loves us as he loves the Son. The Father's faithfulness is at stake here, not ours. Your wife's, brethren, faithfulness is not lodged within her to produce any type of favor from you. The favor she gets from you is because Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior and has forgiven you of every single sin and has shown you unconditional love. Unconditional love. You might sanctify her, washing water by the word. Look at verse 27, that he might present her to himself. Now the language is starting to change a little bit, and yet we can see. Now that he might present her to himself, the Lord's presenting his church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. Let me stop here before I go to verse 28 and end, because we're, we're getting behind here, brethren. Thank you for staying with me. I hope that you have a cup of coffee or something, and you're just enjoying yourself like I am, because, man, I'll tell you, the Word of God is, is so exciting. It is so stupendous. We just every time you turn to it, you just end up turning other places and other places and other places. And next thing you know, two hours have gone by, and you don't you think it's five minutes. The Word of God. Wow. Let me just read a few things out of the Song of Solomon for you. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to show you uh, how the Lord, the Lord in in perfect, uh, you know, well, actually, a Shulamite woman was loved by Solomon. But he says, he brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Do you know that Christ has a banner over you, and it's love? Husbands, do we have a banner that hangs over our wife? Does she know that she is loved? Does she know that she is number one? Do you know that uh, that Job says, you know what? I have made a covenant with my wife. Why should with my eyes? I've made a covenant with my eyes concerning my wife. Why should I look on a young woman? <laughs> this Check this out. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. That's how he sees you, brethren. Listen to this. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Wow. He says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ's desire is for you? It's for you. Does your wife know that your desire is for her? That she has no rivals. <laughs> when we come and we get married, we have, she has no rivals. My wife knows that. I told you a story. Uh, I used to tell this quite often. But it was quite humorous, actually. But it could have been disastrous if uh, my wife was not um, locked into to who she is as far as my wife. We had just moved to Oregon. This was quite a few years ago. And, and uh, there was a, there was, it's a small town. And there was a guy that had a, a same type of pickup. Uh, as I have, still have, and uh, same color, same everything. Well, one day, um, a gal that my wife had worked with saw this truck that was the same one, the same looking one that I have, this guy driving with it with blonde right next to him. And she, she, she kind of regrettingly went in the next day and said, I just want to tell you, Dean, I said, um, she said, uh, I, I, I saw your, your husband, um, Riding around town with with another woman, um, you know, kind of a blonde type of woman, and Dina kind of laughed about it, and uh, came home, and we laughed about it, and but I got to thinking about it over the years. I thought, you know, how sad how some men and some women, probably more women or men, I should say, would have gone. Hmm, wait a minute, do I really know what's going on? I really know where my husband was that day or, you know, no, huh, no way. There, there's obviously now the explanation, which there was, it was this other guy and his wife or whatever in his own truck. Matter of the thing is, is that my wife was confident that she was the only one for me, that sure was, there was no rivals. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. 
Look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. We, we know that man is basically selfish. I mean, are you looking out for your own self-interest over your wives? Do you care about your own interests, which I believe the body here represents? Or are you looking out for her? Are you laying your life down for her? Look at verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Nourishes and cherishes it. Wow. There's another hidden understanding and meaning, and I only say hidden because it is revealed by the Spirit. It's not hidden so God could say, I keep hidden things from you. And you know what? You just have to figure things out. Well, if we read the text and discern it rightfully, remember back in verse 25, how do we love our wife supremely? Well, Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. So we understand that loving involves giving our life, laying it down for our wives. Look at verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Husbands, you want to love your wives and you want a thriving marriage? Nourish her. Cherish her. And he goes on verse 34, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then he goes right back, verse 31, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Listen for, he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ in the church. And I'll end with verse 33 and do kind of a recap. Verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You wives have great power over men. As my mentor, Dave Hunt, used to say, you, you must be make sure you don't lead them astray. You don't, you know, um, we love our wives, brethren, as Christ loved the church. I want to challenge um, in this first great aspect of the outworking of, of character. Um, I want our... I want our lives to be gauged within our home before we go out on the street. I want our lives to be gauged by not only by by not only what we do at home, but by the word of God in our character. The Lord puts great emphasis, husbands, on how you treat your wives. I want to read a similar passage in First Peter, and then we'll be wrapping this up. Thank you for sticking with me, brethren. I hope this has been absolutely informative to you. First Peter chapter 3, Peter says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, just like Paul said, so that even if some do not obey the word, even if some husbands don't obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now I come back to us or to you, wives, We're talking about conduct here. 
they be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You know, I'm, I have a story here, and I know I'm, I'm going a little bit longer here, brethren, but I'm just so so grateful to be with you and to be in the Word of God. There was a story one time that I've, that I've been fond of saying, you know, some of these stories are excellent. They're not mine. I couldn't come up with them myself. But they're excellent. And it was a true story of, of a man who years and years ago, I believe it was in Germany or somewhere in Europe, who every night he would uh, he would go to the tavern and, and uh, you know, proceed to get drunk and, you know, and uh, drink it up with his friends, and his godly wife would be at home and, and uh, you know, put the kids in bed and take care of the house and everything. And when he would come home at night, usually in a drunken stupor, he'd stumble in, and she would make sure that fire was lit and make sure that his wet clothes were taken off, and she always had a nice hot meal for him and loved him and sometimes, you know, would have to put him in bed. And So from time to time he would brag and he would say, Oh, my wife, you know, she, she... She's a, a so-called Christian, and and boy, I'll bet you we can go home right now, and she'd cook us all a hot meal. And he uh, laughed it up. Well, one night he did. He brought a couple of his friends home, and of course, in her character, being a godly woman as she was, she fed them all, gave them a hot meal, and and two of the men stood up and said, "You know what, friend? You're crazy. You have this wonderful wife. I wish I had that, and you treat her." like the scum of the earth, and they left. And that night, he got down on his knees, the husband, and gave his life to Jesus Christ because he was won by the conduct of his wife. Conduct is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. It is powerful. And wife, you do that, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, and it says, Do not let your adorning be merely outward, adorning the hair, wearing fine, you know, gold, putting on fine apparel. It's not the clothes that you wear, but listen to this, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, which is incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And then that's in the passage he says, Husbands likewise dwell with them in an understanding way. Are we living with our wives, guarding them emotionally, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life? Do that that your prayers may not be hindered. Conduct is everything. Conduct is proof that Christ lives in us. When we have the conduct of Jesus Christ, as we walk as he walked, and I will close with this. This is a solemn word to those that are in Christ. And yet to those that are in Christ, we see this as an encouragement, as an encouragement, not so much as a condemnation, but an encouragement that this is possible and only possible those who are in Christ. John in his first epistle, First John one, or excuse me, chapter two, verse six says, "He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked." Character, that's what this life produces as well. We not only have the hope of heaven 
and, and the glory of, of that. At any moment, Christ would come back and snatch up his body to be with him. But while we are here, Lord, or we have the privilege with the Lord to walk in ways that please him, to show people Jesus Christ and lead people to him when they see our wonderful behavior. Um, I've heard many, many men when I used to be in business, many times people say that, you know, there was just something about you. Something. I, I can't, something about you that's different. Let me tell you, my friend, and you can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says the same thing in First Peter 3.15. Remember, you know, give a reason for the hope that lies within you of every man that asks of you. Give them a reason of the hope that lies within you. And they say, and then when they see your respectful and chaste behavior, this life is filled with so much promise, so much joy. To live with Jesus Christ is is what we were destined for. Is what is what we what He desires. He desires that we would live with Him in intimate fellowship. No brethren, understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 17. Father, I thank you for these studies. I thank you for those listening to me and the time that we have and just the wonderful beauty of the Word of God. I pray that you would be with every, each and every one that listens to these messages, that you would bless them with yourself, that we would allow you to run every aspect of our life and our thought life. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Brethren, thank you for being with me. Uh, until next time, I pray the Lord be with you. Bye-bye for now.